The Wheel of Time turns and podcasts come and go. Welcome to Wattcast, a Wheel of Time book and watch club. We are reading through Robert Jordan's epic fantasy series and watching Amazon's Wheel of Time TV show. I'm Caleb Wimble and with me are Keely Frank. Hello. And Dan Katinsky. Hey, everyone. You can find us at wattcast.net and support the show at patreon.com slash wattcast. Your support means a lot, as do your reviews. Thank you to Cinnamon Toast Crunch, which is an amazing username to have on, on Apple Podcasts, who left a five-star review saying in brief, give it a listen. Highly recommend checking out the Wattcast. Such a fun listen and crew. Thank you, Cinnamon Toast Crunch. And if you, uh, if you leave a review on Apple Podcasts, even just a few words actually does boost it up in the algorithm a lot, though we do appreciate just the, the five stars as well. You can also email us questions, comments, and corrections via contact at wattcast.net. But the subject line questions, we'll answer them here on the show. Today, we're in The Dragon Reborn, which is book three of the series, and we're talking about chapters 11 to 15. Dan, uh, in brief, what, what happens in these chapters? What's the overall flow of things? So the we switch over to more of the uh, Egwene and Nynaeve uh, POV after being with Perrin and Rand for a little while. They're heading back to Tarvalon. It starts with them heading back to the White Tower. And when they get there, they're accused of being runaways. It's not the kind of welcome they were expecting. They thought they would be heralded as heroes or at least praised for their efforts in the last book. Um, Varen admonishes them to play along. Uh, in chapter 12, Varen reports that the dragon's been uh, reborn and she speaks uh, in private to Swan, who indicates that what they've been up to and the whole pushing for Rand to be presented as the dragon mm-hmm. is problematic for them and that it could be very bad if this news came out within the rest of the White Tower. So I think at this point, Swan is indicating that there's a lot of hostility or a lot of secrecy that has to be kept here between them. And I think Swan mm-hmm. is starting to doubt who she can trust and it's becoming more and more uh, difficult. So Varen talks to her about the dragon's rebirth and just kind of confirms some of the events that happened in the climax of the last book. Um, also indicates that the Horn of Elir has been brought to the White Tower, which is not what Swan was expecting. Um, and she is notified that Matt is linked to the Horn. Uh, moving to chapter 13, Swan informs Elaine and Egwene that they're to be ra- uh, raised from just novices to the accepted, which is a huge shock to them. This comes mm-hmm. shortly after being <laughs> punished for their actions um, the, the um, prior book. And then Nynaeve will serve penance in the kitchens with them until further notice. Uh, and then in chapter 14, Swan sets uh, Egwene and Nynaeve hunting the Black Aja Uh which is confusing to them. They're they're not expecting it. I think um, mm-hmm. Egwene is hesitant and confused by it. She feels they're underqualified for it. Whereas we're starting to see a new side to um, Nynaeve who accepts this and is starting to learn to hold her tongue a little bit. So a lot of character development for there, which I'm sure we'll be discussing. Uh, and then in chapter 15, after they've accepted this, they're immediately brought into some action here <laughs> where they're almost killed. They go back to the rooms yeah. and are killed, almost killed by uh, what is referred to as a gray man. Uh, yeah. Nynaeve is able to unlock some of her channeling abilities and presents with some new talents and, and more information, which I'm not sure if Jordan's made note of before, but uh, Nynaeve has this gift of being able to cop- copy channeling abilities by just witnessing them one or two times, which is pretty impressive. So she's able to use this almost airbending technique of uh, capturing foes. Mm-hmm. So they're able to hold him, but by the time they get to this gray man um, using this technique, he's already been murdered, he's been stabbed, and they have no idea who's who's done this. Um, 
Shuriam Sedai swear, uh, appears on the scene the, and swears them to the mistress silent. of novices, yeah. Yes, they're the, the mistress that's been working with them um, that we met in the last book. Uh, and the chapter kind of ends on a, a note of mystery because Nynaeve smartly points out that Shuriam didn't didn't bring up or question who had stabbed the gray man. Mm-hmm. So, which leaves Nynaeve to be suspicious of Shuriam, which uh, initiates this new almost clue <laughs> uh, what, uh, Wheel of Time edition. So we'll we'll see what happens. Yeah, it really does feel, I, I, I don't know, it always feels like we're comparing things to Lord of the Rings or to later stuff like Harry Potter, but we're really in the, the Chamber of Secrets saga here with the, the mystery within Tower of Valid itself. And like you said, Nynaeve showing a lot more savvy than she necessarily has in the White Tower so far in her deal with other Aes Sedai, she, she points out what you just said with uh, what she notices about Shiriam's omission. And she also intuits things that Egwene does not right away about Swan Sanche and what she is actually doing with them and, uh, and her motivations behind this. Because as she points out, Swan knows that they've already been targeted by, uh, by dark friends, right? And that clearly is not factoring into the explanations she's giving for turning them into her dark friend hounds for people who can trust. And, and he, I think Swan explicitly says, oh, I'm not using you as bait, but... If that's not what she's doing, that certain it certainly gives the look of it from what Nynaeve puts out, that they already have a target on their backs and now and now it's being leaned into as an even bigger one. Am I the only one who, throughout the Grey Man scene, until the end of it, I think, I kept being uncertain whether the dagger was the dagger that, that he was killed with at the end of it and whether that was going to be factor into part of the scene. But I think it just is just a normal dagger, totally unrelated, because Matt is downstairs right now, I think, being healed or separated from the dagger at this point, or they hope he is anyway, right around here. Yeah, I don't so, think they mentioned... Oh, sorry, Kayla. No, I was just going to say that like I didn't um think that it was the dagger because wouldn't Nynaeve and Egwene have recognized it if it was? Yeah, presu- presumably. Like, that. That's yeah. Why I, that's why I told myself, oh, it can't be. They're, they haven't mentioned the ruby sticking out of the pommel. And also the gray man isn't doing the whole body going black and rotting and yeah. ve- veins right. going dark and all that right away. Although who knows if it would affect gray men the same way because we find this is our introduction to these shadow spawn. Ooh, sorry, I'm out of breath today. I just came back from a run. Uh, <laughs> we find out from, is it it's Shiriam who describes them, right? As being particularly idiotic to her mind, dark friends who, who allow their bodies bodies to be soul stripped essentially something is done to their souls to either remove them or make them absent in a way that causes gray men to be unseen and they call them gray men because they're mostly men though it's very few women who who will consent to doing this uh which sherium takes as a sign of just being uh, male dark friends are dumber overall and we don't really learn much more about them than that yet i don't think um but you get the sense from the way the scene is described that it's almost hard to think about them it's uh, the way that everything happens around the action of the gray men where things are just happening in a way it's initially confusing i think like what's going on because the gray man's not being described you've got like this arrow coming out of nowhere looking around not really seeing it's anybody at first and then realizing there's this figure around the corner and naive binds him up with air and then gets stabbed somewhere in that process i'm not really sure when it's kind of an underwhelming introduction to the solace they like hype them up in the first few chapters like oh this great threat and then the first one we find is a corpse <laughs> So I, I was almost expecting more of a fabulous introduction that's like creepy and they're like, they sound like zombies. I'm still having trouble completely understanding them. They sound like they, they're they more mindless followers of the Dark Lord because they've given their soul. So they just, I guess he controls their body. Are they like, well, I guess they're like puppets from what I'm hearing. It's like they've kind of, in exchange for removing their soul, he has more power over them. 
I don't think they're puppets. I don't think they're controlled directly. They still have their mind and they're still, they're not dumb zombies. They can still pull off complicated uh, plans and things, but they no longer have like a will of their own, I think is the idea, or or maybe a consciousness or sense of self. We, we don't have many details on that yet. Are, are these different than the servants from the pre the prologue of the last book? Oh yeah. No way. Yeah, these... So those, those were actual corpses or zombies and these aren't then? These are just the soulless? Corpses or zombies? Well, so we have have the waiters and like any of the attendees in the last book um oh during that yeah, ballroom yeah. sequence remember that the they were like mm-hmm. hollowed eyed they're like i think he identifies that they're dead or they're just like these soulless looking individuals that are just like yeah. they all look the same or they don't have any identity and they're like i think they mentioned them as like corpses or reanimated figures and he's like really shocked by that when he actually stares into their faces so it's something different that's been done to them but i i won't i won't describe that since i don't think we've been told what it is in the, in the book yet but that is that is going to be a different element of of the power involved uh, okay. in in those people uh i i thought the swan and varin discussion was pretty interesting uh this is another thing that feels like we're probably going to get more of in the show and they've and they've backported it to earlier in the show like we had we had the conversations last book with moraine and swan that got brought into season one of the show and i'm pretty confident at this point that Varen, well, oh, there's two ways they could go with this. They might just get rid of Varen entirely, which I hope they don't do because she does play a major role in the books and just fold all that into Moraine again. I could see them doing that to consolidate oh, yeah. for the se- for the <laughs> second book. I hope they don't because of some things that happened down the line uh, with Varen. And I, and I do really enjoy having her character around, but maybe they'll bring that there. We see the morality of these two. We see Swan's intentions, her her very strong conviction uh, that that is wavering a little bit here because things are going off plan but of the need to save the world through these prophecies that she and moraine overheard before and her willingness to do basically anything in the course of that she contemplates let it seems like to me varin kind of suggests uh may you know it's like 50 50 a good bad idea letting matt die so that he is disconnected from the horn because they, you know they can't kill him he's not a shadow spawn but they don't technically have to heal him and separate him from, or not from the dagger, that from the from the horn of Valer. And I think Swan actually considers it for a moment, and we're not. But and uh, you, you know, she she winds up deciding that she's not going to go that route for the moment. But it is within the realm of possibility for her, of moral possibility. Yeah, and I think she was like really contemplating how many people might actually be dark friends. And so, like, yeah. if we do, if we did let Matt die, and then someone that we didn't realize was a dark friend got a hold of the horn then they're kind of fucked yeah um but yeah it was interesting i i definitely fall under the the like category of people that think that she is 100 percent using Egwene and nynaeve as bait because Mm -hmm. she you know they've built her up as this like all-knowing super powerful you know she's like the head of tarvalon and then now in this chapter she's like i want to talk to these two alone and as soon as everyone's out of the room she's just like info dump like here's all the stuff that's super (laughs) duper confidential and like if anyone found out it'd be really really bad so that to me means that like she sees them as kind of like dispensable like it just didn't feel 100 percent i don't want to say genuine but like genuine to the character of her that i had in my head for her to just be Hmm. like let me tell these two effectively teenagers everything going on right now and then make them my like assassin people it's like yeah uh, i don't know that i totally buy it but again they said didn't she say someone said about elaine now like you have the potential to be the most powerful all three of them (laughs) oh my god just fucking all three of them are just like yeah they're all 
OP and just bring in the ultra powerful. I said, I don't know. They need to like kind of help us with these power structures because it's like all of a sudden these three are now being heralded as like they, they talked before as they had potential. Now they're like, oh, well, you, you've already jumped leaps and bounds since the last book. So we're, we're going to promote you or you're at the level of any Aes Sedai here. I didn't yeah, think like, they well, were. Like- like you said, Dan, for Nynaeve, we learn it's not just that she has all this raw power. She's kind of a savant in terms of her learning speed and ability that goes well beyond what Egwene finds herself able to do. That that this, like you said, this almost power she has, which uh, which may or may not be of the one power. Maybe she is just like that kind of person. She learns from seeing a thing done a single time. But it is incredibly useful that she can just watch Aes Sedai do a weave and then she's already thinking of ways that she can change it or make it her own and use it for other purposes. Yeah, I just feel like, again... Egwin gets underscored and Nynaeve gets... It's frustrating in the books. <laughs> it's the opposite of the... No, I don't want to say the opposite of the show because it does happen in the show. But in the books, Nynaeve is always taking the attention away from Egwene. And Egwene's the one that went through that character arc. So why is Nynaeve showing the character development when she hasn't completely earned it? I don't feel like she mm. had as much attention in the climax. She was off. She was frustrated that she was having trouble channeling without being angry. Uh, she was trying to rescue them and she did put her plan together. But the person who went through a huge character arc and development mm. was... Egwene being uh, collared and then also learning all these new abilities. But we get back to the tower and it looks like Nynaeve's the one who's grown, which I've been waiting for for a while, but I just don't feel it had an earned moment. It's like suddenly book three, she's a lot smarter. She's not blowing up all the time, but they haven't really explained what what was the catalyst for Mm -hmm. finally having her start to be a little more mature about these interactions with Aes Sedai. Like she's so much smarter all of a sudden, but Egwene was the one I expected to be more different um, than she is in the last book, but she seems pretty similar. Yeah, Egwene to me feels like the female version of Perrin, where now they're like, she's mm. gone through horrific trauma, and she, she's just like acting out and having all these, like, I, I like when she kind of goes over the top and uses the one power when she shouldn't. I kind of like mm-hmm. that she's actually doing that. But yeah, with Nynaeve, it's like, you know, we had the first couple chapters of the book from Perrin's perspective, and now we have Nynaeve, and all of a sudden she's like agreeing to do what the Aes Sedai want, and coming to realize yeah. that like, oh, I guess I have to treat these kids like they're older, and like, where did this come from? Because from yep. the last book to now, you haven't explained why I believe anything. Unless hmm. she's got like some ulterior motive for wanting to do and don't they hint at that that like she's keeping secrets from yeah so yeah i think there's a scene where Egwene is seeing that yeah that Nynaeve is changing she's holding cards close to her chest and that maybe a lot of it seems like a lot of her Nynaeve's anger is real with the Omerlin and she almost explodes and gets them into worse trouble a couple of times in the in the course of that conversation but it's unclear to me whether that is also yeah Nynaeve learning to play up that aspect of her personality so that in a way that people then underestimate her slyness and and what and she's almost using her anger as a cover now in a way and and as a weapon in a more precise and not just lashing out at the world kind of way throughout this um but it's it's like but to keely's point though it's like jordan decided he wanted a lot of development mm -hmm. seems to have been just him contemplating on the characters between books and then deciding in this one he wanted all this to happen with Perrin and Nynaeve and it's like jordan you didn't set this up properly it's like if you want to have their perspective now that's fine but you didn't everything from the last two books has not led to this so far so it's a little bit of a whiplash Mm -hmm. where it's like well oh now they have complex thoughts and they're going through things and they're they're growing as characters but you didn't 
didn't they neither character really earned that from the last two books they weren't they were so overshadowed by everyone else yeah and you you may be right um that that may be the case that he has just sort of he decided that he wanted naive to be more of a person and that just didn't didn't draw the transition that it just happened off screen in a way that would not be satisfying i feel like we should wait until we see her perspectives chapters in in this one to know for sure maybe we are going to get more development from from her side of what has been going on but maybe not maybe maybe you're you could be totally right i don't really remember it could just be informed growth that we see the consequences of but don't really get the catalyst in the plot for though it looks like it may be a while before we have it and this is maybe like that writerly trick that um a lot of writers like with multi-perspectives and that jordan seems very fond of where we're deliberately not being given the perspective of the person in these chapters who is closest to the held knowledge because Egwene knows kind of she Egwene and elaine know the least here and have the fewest secret plans going on and so they're the ones that we get to see witnessing these things well we do get swan's perspective so apparently whatever Dynaeve is holding back is even more close to the chest than that which which i like though I, I felt like swan matches it fleshes it out in a nice way it's like it confirms some of the stuff we got in season one of the show like the the poor origins and i like the description of the room helps build the character because it's like this person mm-hmm. who's still not completely comfortable with riches i thought that was a good way of tying in an environment with the character and kind of explaining some of their personalities like not used to the luxurious living of like somebody of her status still likes the simple things mm-hmm. that was really good tie in between just sometimes i feel like authors just describe things and they don't need to wait writing going into details about stuff but it's like that's how you do it properly you tie it to the character and what their personality is and how that relates to it so i like that and i like some of the decision making there that we're seeing more of this character's personality versus the prior books i think some of it was inferred just based off what we saw in the show was influencing our perception whereas i don't think we actually got too many details about yeah. them as a person yeah we got that um they, they sort of did the the hollywood thing which makes sense which is just to show us her upbringing directly like the that the fishing boat moment with her dad and all that and getting a sense of that environment uh which i think yeah that's exactly like the difference between things you can easily communicate in writing versus on screen on screen you can just go ahead and show that flashback and you can establish that for for that bit of story on the page you can give environmental details and clothing details and internal thoughts that are then interpreted like like you say to to tell us what they're informing mm-hmm. about her character and past something you said keely was uh, was reminding me of an interesting part of this power dynamic here where you're talking about what swan is doing what she's up to and putting these things on the other on the other two and the way that she's going through these decisions about the judgments which is that i don't know if it's said explicitly here but it seems very clearly the case from what she and Varen lay out that Egwene and Nynaeve and Elaine could completely sink her. They could have Swan executed if they breathe a word of like half the shit they know. And I wonder whether they know at this point that they that they have like the, it goes both ways. Like like Swan has this leverage over them. Which is that, hey, you really, trust me, you don't want people to know that you ran off with Leandrin. A lot of women at the tower ran off with Leandrin and they are, they're all on the shoot on sight list now. That's not, that's not a good association to have, even, even though it's very unjust and unfair and infuriating that they're being, you know, they were kidnapped, but are being painted as dark friends. But the, the, uh, the flip side of that too is the things they know about, about Swan and about her helping Rand along secretly would have her immediately uh, drawn before the circle and, and uh, stripped of her stole and stilled and possibly executed if anybody knew. So it's this kind of, yeah, the, we're all in this, we're sort of in this boat together, but not everybody knows they're in the same boat here about the dark friend investigation and whose necks are on the line. 
And it's not clear to me what Nynaeve has figured out all, all the way in that. Yeah, I mean, you saying that makes me think like, okay, maybe the like random character growth that we're seeing with Nynaeve is that maybe she has realized that as well. That like, you know, she maybe clicked in her head that like, okay, well, now I know things. I've been given some, you know, level of authority here that yeah. I can go places I shouldn't be going and ask questions and you know, get to the bottom of, you know, whatever she wants to find out for herself. Mm -hmm. So maybe that did give her like a sense of control back and then she doesn't feel the need to act out in the way that we've seen from her before. Mm -hmm. um, but also saying that like, I, I do really like Swan's character and I, I as much as it feels kind of weird that she's like info dumping, I also do like the fact that it's showing that like even though she's like, you know, heckin' powerful, she's still like fallible. Like she's still a person because she, yeah. she they the way that she is coming across is kind of like a ball of anxiety where like she's worried about so many things at once and like she feels <laughs> yeah. like she can't trust anyone and it's like okay if she I, I feel like that's kind of a way I don't know if this is intentional or not but this feels like a way for Jordan to separate out like the good use of the one power versus the bad mm -hmm. use because like you know when the men typically are able to use the power they're like oh shit like I, I can rule everyone I can fuck everything up and then mm -hmm. now like you know with the women so far other than like Leandrin it's been kind of a hit or miss like yeah we have this but not perfect and we could ruin everything and mm -hmm. take it easy with, so. with great power comes great responsibility basically <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah but i did i really liked i wanted to talk about the um where they explained more about leandrin and them leaving because i don't know that i mm -hmm. realized how many people went with her no, I didn't either. I had no clue until then. like the amount of damage that they did yeah. that like they killed yeah. warders and some of the the Aes Sedai. And then, you know, we were talking about they, they stole the, is it the Terangriel? Are they like yep. the smallest ones? Like, I don't understand really the difference. They can be any size, but the Terangriel are the ones that each do something. Right, so, right, right. Okay. So, so like the archway you don't even need to that have the accepted go through. Connected yeah. to the power. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of them yeah. anybody can use. Um, and then for our listeners' benefit, Angriol are power amplifiers, basically, and they're usually pretty small. Like, like that's what Moraine has, uh, her little, um, oh God, what is hers again? It's not an owl, is it? She has, oh, it's a little woman figure. It's yeah. like a Madonna yeah. fi figure yeah. almost as Moraine's. And then you have Sangriol, which are like that giant statue that Rand saw them digging up in Carrienne that's be from the, from the mm -hmm. Age of Legends, which are mega power amplifiers and could destroy the world. Uh, they're, they're like the Death Stars of, of Angriol. <laughs> Which, yeah, so that, that, that feels like it's deliberately setting up right there. Okay, they got all these secret powerful items that do that we have no idea what half of them do or which ones they took necessarily. So that's for sure going to be coming into the plot, right? Like these these strange new abilities that the Black Aja are wielding and have taken from the tower. Yeah, I'm kind of hoping that they'll play into that. Uh, like at least give one of them one that like will explode back in their face because this feels very <laughs> much to me like the opportunity for him to put in like someone stole something from the weasleys and then it turns out that yeah, it's actually yeah. not but like if so <laughs> she said that even the the like the rod or whatever that the Aes Sedai hold and like when they're when they're becoming full Aes Sedai, yep. wouldn't they want like what does how does that work like how is that special like if the if, let's say that like Leandrin had taken that mm. what what happens then oh that that would be a big deal I mean I think that one they keep 
in particular in the Omerlin's office, like in, in her chambers. I'm not, I'm not 100% sure about that, but they couldn't technically raise new eyes to die. Uh, like uh, there's a point in here where, where Swan says she wishes that she could raise Nynaeve right now, partly because she's so goddamn powerful that she really ought to be an Aes Sedai. But there are two problems with that. Uh, well, one, one is that she can't control, she has to be able to channel when she's calm, what yeah. she can't do. That's like part of the trials. Um, but part of why she wants to do that is that uh, is to have her swear on the Oath Rod, which is like part and parcel with being an Aes Sedai is being bound by the three oaths by the Oath Rod, which makes it impossible to lie, impossible to kill anybody except uh, in if they're shadow spawn or in last defense of your life or the life of your warder. And, uh, and and finally, not to create any weapons of the power that people could use to kill each other. So if they can't do the swearing in, then they can't technically erase new Aes Sedai according to their own laws. And there breaks down their trust with society for these on the only thing that holds the Aes Sedai back in other people's eyes is the, is the three O's that keep them from just using their power however they want it. And now we learned here, that's all getting thrown to shit and chaos across the world because people have seen Shan Chan using mm -hmm. the one power and all the ways that are forbidden by the oaths and now they don't trust them anymore. The the White Cloaks have also seen Egwene blowing up the earth in ways that uh, are really stretching what would be allowed under the three oaths because that probably wasn't the last defense of her life or yeah. or her warder's life yet at that point. So so yeah, I think that that's... It'd be interesting. That that could be what would happen if the Oath Rod was taken, just like breakdown of, of trust. Or maybe they just don't raise new Aes Sedai until they find it. But have mm. they explained who created the three oaths? Like, why do they have to follow them? Mm. We learned in either Eye of the World or the Great Hunt that they swore them um, kind of as part of the, the peace at the end of the, the war with Ardor Hawkwing. Ardor Hawkwing conquered the entire world and laid siege to the White Tower, and he had sort of framed the Aes Sedai as the witches who were controlling and meddling with everything, like, like the Jedi Council kind of thing. And, uh, and nobody trusted or liked Aes Sedai at this point. They were known for breaking the world and then using their power to do whatever they liked. So ultimately, Ardor Hawkwing dies of um, natural causes or, or a wound or something before the end of the siege. And part of the peace the Aes Sedai make with his his children who are warring with one another and one of whom goes across the sea and forms the Shanchan Empire, part of the peace they make is, okay, 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 we will we will swear these binding oaths on this, this artifact created from the Age of Legends, which makes it impossible for us not to be bound by these oaths. And so we won't be, we won't be creating weapons of war anymore. We won't be killing people however we decide. And we won't be able to lie so you can trust us. And that was, that was like the peace that they made with the world for why the Aes Sedai are kind of not at war with everyone. All, all the time or uh, or just able to openly control everything and that's that's all we've gotten of that backstory so far i think okay because i was just wondering like so now we've got two identified group at least that we know of that are using the power the one power without having those rules mm -hmm. so at what point are those rules <laughs> then a fucking limitation and you're outnumbered and are you going to become the next, like, um, tinkerers where mm. you're, you're not using your ability? Because, like, all right, so let's say that you do use all the, you use your power to make a weapon or something. You, you Did they try to still you then? Like, are they going to, like, if you're just like a Leandrin, but you use yeah, your power yeah. and you run away, like, if they don't catch you, what happens? <laughs> Well, presumably nothing because she she's a dark friend, right? And she everybody wants Landra de dead now. If they know who she is, she's right. uh, open season for the Children of the Light, open season for other Aes Sedai who would, yeah, if they caught her, I think they would definitely still her and then probably execute her. Maybe they would leave her as a location. I don't think yeah, they would they, leave they the dark Yeah, they highlight how urgent it is. Yeah, the, the, 
And that's, I think, part of the urgency is that you both are uncovering is just like, this messes up all the order they've had and everything else is already unraveling mm -hmm. in society. So I think that's why she's so stressed out because if they, and why she's like, you must hunt down these dark friends. This is like a top priority because if we can't establish order and remove these these strays from like the the order of the White Tower, then it completely yeah. tarnishes the Aes Sedai name. Oh, and speaking uh, of the new power conferred upon Egwene and Nynaeve and the new powers they're recognizing they have and for Nynaeve like uh, having this power over Swan Sanche having stuff over her head the most powerful person in the world really probably outside the Forsaken but in terms of political power certainly the most powerful uh, Swan gives Egwene uh, a letter or she gives both of them these, these letters uh, these writs of authority that essentially whatever that if they need to they can pull out these what I do is done with the authority of uh, of the Amarillan seat herself and of the whole of all of Tarvalon so they have despite being like you know scullery maids now and having to work down in the kitchens and be doing all this cleaning shit they uh, they have just been handed so much authority and ability and yeah the autonomy that is it's constrained in other ways that that yeah like you were saying uh, both of both of y'all were saying like that Nynaeve has been wanting so much and bucking against not having it. And so maybe, yeah, maybe this will be the thing um, that is that is pulling her towards that. She's being given the autonomy she craves and know that she is capable of handling. And uh, and what, what that means for Egwene, I guess we'll find out. We like, yeah, we, we get to your point, Dan, about the lack of the lack of Egwene really developing so much yet. I feel like she she is in some ways, uh, but but it is constantly lagging behind Nynaeve and others. But we do see her thinking back on what happened to her in the last book and the firmness of her resolve to not be not be stilled, to not be collared, to never be under someone's thrall again, to never be taken prisoner in that way, I think is going to be, it seems like an overriding motivation for her. Like maybe yeah. the most conviction and the most assertion, we, the strongest assertion we ever hear from Egwene about anything is under no fucking circumstances. Like, I, like you get the sense that she would kill Aes Sedai before letting them take the one power from her at this point, which is Yeah, like the, oh, it's almost like a drug. Yeah. yeah, it's almost like a drug metaphor in a lot of ways because it's like once you do a, a very hard drug you mm. under you always have had that experience and it's really hard to pull back from that and it's like you have that addiction or kind of the the you have to fight that addiction element the rest of your life and it's really mm -hmm. challenging and they've they've really painted the connection to the one power that way it's like it gives you all these things it makes you feel a certain way life doesn't have the same color and yeah. once you've touched that it's almost like this drug addiction where you have to fight that urge because you know it can consume you and destroy your life but it it deviates from that drug addiction metaphor because it can do all these powerful things and help you out in life it just has yes. to be tolerated yeah, and controlled yeah. but it's just interesting because it's like now we've got that it's not just Rand worried about that they even mentioned they're concerned about mm -hmm. can we run away from the white tower or we have we not gotten far enough where we can control this are we gonna i think that's part of the reason they have to stay is they don't know if they've reached that point mm -hmm. where they can control their power without going yeah. like crazy or succumbing to it yeah but it like it's even the same as far as like it kind of mimicking a drug addiction with any kind of ability because even look at Perrin, yeah. like he's super worried about it completely taking over like yeah. um what was his name gnome or noah or something something like that yeah yeah that he saw so it is interesting how it, it, it mimics that up until a point because it's like, well, he can't actually say it's like a drug addiction because a drug addiction because then he's like, but look at all the good it does. Yeah, well, <laughs> I think that's because it's it, it has a lot. You can read that metaphor, mm -hmm. but it's also not a metaphor. It's also power. You know, power itself is intoxicating, right? Like po yeah. power. And, and I think that's 
what's coming out with Egwene is that power is also freedom. Like you can't have meaningful liberty without having power of some kind, right? Like power, power over, over your own life. Like, like it, it confers autonomy or it's linked to it. Like power is one way to ensure that your, your autonomy and your freedom is maintained because you have the power to defend it. And now those things are linked for Egwene. I think she has had that taken away. She has had her autonomy taken away at the same time as her power and, and not having access to her power meant she couldn't defend her autonomy. So I think this is, you know, linked to like political theories of power too, yeah. that she is learning that she needs the one power, not just because it feels good or because it like makes her see the world in a different way, but because the only way to defend her freedom in life and the only way in this world of, um, you know, where that can be taken away at any time because the dark friends do it, because the Shan Chan do it, because the Aes Sedai do it, because because men do it and asserted over over women in, in their relationships. The only guarantee of liberty is power in a way. Like you have to have yeah. that. So I, I think I, I agree that you could, that there is definitely the drug metaphor in there and you can read it that way. But I want to be careful about, uh, and I think this is always the temptation. You know, it's a fantasy thing. It's obviously magic doesn't exist in this way, but it is also, there are also these positive elements and these necessary elements to the way that she yeah. views power now because it's needed to defend her autonomy. Like it, it, it's like part and parcel with it for her. And it's also part of her identity, it, the way that the, the magic works for her and what it allows her to achieve in the world. And maybe her identity is not as firmly uh, delineated yet as it could be <laughs> like parents like they're, they're doing so much reacting to things I think is what you were hitting on there Keely like both Perrin and and Egwene largely are motivated by now well in the first book Egwene at least had like she she learned this potential she had and she wanted to seize it and she wanted to be more than she could be before she knew this potential so that was an active motivation but then like Perrin a lot of her action is reaction to mm -hmm. having trauma inflicted upon her and uh, and things done to her that I hope we get to yeah you know, yeah see her moving part of that because you know that's that's often life works that way we we form who we are out of what we go through wait but are you are you talking about Nynaeve or Pe you said Perrin what are you talking per about Perrin and Egwene I think are both Lee, yeah, okay. but both having like a lot of what's this is the link you were drawing right Kili that they have yeah. a lot of reacting to trauma as like motivating force for them and then hopefully that also takes them to what something new that they are building for themselves out of that and like the person that they are determining they're going to be so that you know partly that's motivated by never wanting that to happen again but they have they're doing that thing of taking something horrible done to them and and, and forging forging a path forward for themselves out of that. Um, whereas whereas I think Nynaeve is kind of doing that sometimes, but it's more in reaction to things done to people that she feels responsible for or to mm -hmm. uh, the duty that she feels and 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 the the need for Nynaeve. It's like this protective instinct. It's this this strong desire for justice and to be able to defend those around her that she internalizes. In in, in this anger that she has um that's my theory anyway yeah and i think like as you were saying that it was also making me think that like i really hope that eventually these characters will drop off and they haven't said it that much this book but they'll drop off from the like i just want to be a shepherd like i just want to go oh, yeah, yeah. like <laughs> yeah. because you okay let's say that you do let's say that everything that's happened you have this knowledge now try going back to your tiny ass town and yeah. trying to live your life you're not going to be able to <laughs> like so mm -hmm. i I'm, I'm hoping that like some of the, the the character growth for these characters will be like coming to that realization that like 
we can never go back. Like not, you know, maybe not necessarily physically, but like you'll never be able to go back to what it was, what your life was before all this happened. Because yeah. Even like, wasn't it Egwene that was like so excited to like go on an adventure? Mm -hmm. And it's like, now you're out here. Well, congratulations. Life is fucked. So you here's your <laughs> adventure. So it's just like, but as much as I say that, I kind of do hope they go back because I really miss, Um. oh my God, what is Rand's dad's name? Tim. Yeah. I, like, I really hope that they eventually will go. I'm sure they will, but we'll go back to like his character and kind of like Rand's origins. But then also same with Nynaeve because isn't it like kind of unclear where she came from or like what her background is? Yeah, she she's was a foundling, right? Like uh, yeah. like Rand in, in a lot of ways. So we, we don't, I don't think we know a thing yet at this point. Uh, the, the Wheel of Time, Mudblood. <laughs> But, yeah, wild, but I also like um, that when the um, the bullies, the other accepted were coming to get them, that mm. <laughs> the one the one stood up and was like, shut the fuck up. And then she went to nine even was like, hey, I'm a wilder, too. Like, let's let's hang out. We're the mm -hmm. same you and me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and the one who was being like the total asshole about like lording Malfoy. their punishments over them. Yeah, the Immediate the whole fucking yeah, thing. Yeah, she immediately gets hoisted by her own petard when she tries to, to tell on them in front of the Omerlin and <laughs> Uh, it's like I think it's um Lee it, who, who what, what's the name it's is it Lee Leanne the the keep the the sort of assistant I forget her name she's not the keeper is she is she the oh. keeper or the assistant to the Amaral and she's just immediately like go go take uh go take a um a penance for wasting the Amaral seat's time with your your tattletaling on the, that Egwene was walking too slowly for your liking coming here uh, and I forget the little. She gives her a mantra she's supposed to go and think about for the next couple hours while, while she sweeps the floors outside for, for Sherium Sedai. Yeah, Leanne, she's the um, keeper of the Chronicles. Right, yeah. Yeah, but I did like that. Like, I like that we are getting to see these other personalities popping up from the different Aes Sedai and just other people in the world that isn't just the fucking, like, person that runs the inn that they're staying at for the night. Because <laughs> we've had so many of them. So it's like, I do appreciate that, even if they're, like, stereotypical bully characters it yep. is neat to to get some other perspectives <laughs> to an indication that this world isn't entirely run on an in-based economy and which <laughs> yeah any uh any closing thoughts or other things we want to get to in these chapters before we wrap up i found it pretty funny when they get their like scrolls with the armor and seat approval or like ability to do it one i think mm -hmm. it, i don't see how you can use that without completely giving yourself away but um Egwene's response to that i just found hilarious she starts immediately imagining everything she could do with that yeah She's like, i could command <laughs> whole armies or all this and she's just voicing this out loud <laughs> and <laughs> she's sitting there like uh yeah if you do that you're gonna have to like face me and i'm gonna be really pissed about it and she's like i could do all this stuff it's like yeah it's like okay that I don't think that was the most mature way to in immediately respond or at least vo <laughs> vocalize that out loud. <laughs> it's a very Lu Luis from Bob's Burger moment, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like, Five yeah. dollars? Yeah. I couldn't. <laughs> yeah. The flames rise again. Yeah. Like, <laughs> command all these people to do this or boss the guards around. It's like, yeah, if you do that, it's going to get it, like make its way back to me and you're going to be punished for that pretty severely. So <laughs> don't incur my wrath. <laughs> 
And she's like, no, I just meant like I was just hypothetical. It's not actually going to do do all this stuff. Whoops, did I just say that out loud? Yeah, pretty much. I think my final thing is like, I fucking love Huron and I really want him to come back mm. and like be a thing. Because like when he dropped them off, like, and he was like, okay, I'm going to go home. If you need me, just <laughs> yeah. tell me. Like, oh, sweet baby boy. Like, I really grew to like his character. So I hope that, that he comes back and that they don't just kill him off. Yeah, arguably like the bravest and most noble person in, in mm-hmm. the series so far in terms of like his place in the world and his ability versus what he's willing to do to protect the these other people and to to save the world he's a he's a real gem that uh that Huron, the thief taker i also just like how they have like a little side note about oh the first like they didn't listen to him at first the, and the the inn they stayed in at first got like they almost got mugged oh, yeah. and everything and then after that they mm-hmm. all decide to listen to him but they're yeah. like yeah. Yeah. <laughs> after that we learned our lesson and we we now take his advice whenever he sniffs out danger we don't stick around <laughs> it's <laughs> just like oh we're going to completely ignore this guy at first <laughs> and we almost died for it but no problem all right, well, next time we'll be reading chapters... Well, oh, didn't write it down. Chapters 16 to 20 of The Dragon Reborn. Uh, hopefully Nick will be back with us. He had some uh, some last-minute uh, issues taking his attention away. This episode of Wattcast was produced by yours truly. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Caleb Wimble. Dan, where can people find you on the internet? On Instagram and Twitter under the handle PansyDan. Keely, where can people find you? On Instagram and Twitter at Keely underscore read. Remember, you can find us all anytime at Wattcast.net. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Wattcast Podcast. Support the show at Patreon.com slash Wattcast. And email us questions, comments, and corrections at contact at Wattcast.net with the subject line questions. That's all for today. Thanks so much for listening, folks. And remember, this is not the ending. There are neither beginnings nor endings to the turning of the wheel of time, but this is an ending. Farewell. Farewell.